0: Engineering your success. Bets are amazing, 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 amazing.
1: There's a fly ball hit on to the left, waiting is Jones, the Mets are the world champion. Here's the one-two pitch. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. Robin Ventura! The Mets win 4-3! There will be a game 6! And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run! Right. Mike Piazza! And the Mets lead 3-2! To, to left field. Floyd. And after running rough shot over the National League, the Mets have a title to show for it. 2006 National League East Champions! The payoff pitch from Familia to Fowler on the way. And it's in there, strike call. The Mets win the pennant. The New York Mets have won the National League pennant. Put it in the box.
0: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Monday, July the 22nd, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you could leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, that'd be greatly appreciated. Hope everybody's doing well. Coming to you on this Monday off day after the Mets ended their road trip in a disappointing fashion. Losing three out of four to the Giants. They finished five and four on the road trip, which in and of itself is not a terrible road trip. Um, joining us in just a little bit, I had a chance to catch up with Jed Weisberger, an old friend of the show, uh, MLB.com, uh, correspondent, also uh, writes for Clubhouse Corner, uh, baseball-centric website, so uh, he'll be joining us in just a little bit. And the theme will be, uh, can the Mets and Yankees make a deal? With the trade deadline coming up, uh, the talk has been, can the Mets and Yankees help themselves both now and in the future? It's very rare for both of these teams to help them each other. So uh, we'll see what Jed thinks as he's really clued in onto what the Yankees are doing and, and has a lot of opinions on the system. He's a fixture down in Trenton, so he knows a lot about the Yankees' prospects. Also, he's had an opportunity to see more than his share of Mets' prospects. Now, uh, as I said, the Mets finishing the road trip 5-4, and four, and I think that the where I'll, I'll start there, a, a lot of the fan base I can tell after the back-to-back wins in Minnesota they were starting to get giddy. That's about what, four or five games out of the wild card, even though there was a bunch of teams in front of them. And they went into San Francisco. And look, this team, the theme of the season with the three, I mean, particularly the first game being a real gut-punching loss. I mean, this team has had over the last you know two months probably more gut-punching losses than you really should have in a two-year span. And that's really the story of the season. Uh, a season in which it's not going to take a lot to be in the wild card race. Uh, a 500 record would put you right there in the wild card race, like the Giants, a couple of games out. The thing is, this there's really no reason to be mad because right now, until the Mets get to 500, and they would need a ton of things to happen to get to that, you really can't get too worked up over the wild card race. There really isn't a race, and it's funny because I was watching the documentary on the MLB Network about the 1995 Mariners. You look at that team that was, what, 13 and a half games out in August of first place. Uh, But they were actually leading the wild card around that time or in the wild card race at that time. So it can happen, but there's really been no indication that this team can make a run. And uh, until you get to 500, there's nothing to talk about. So I'll start there. There was really... No way I was going to start this podcast off with talking about how the Mets were in the race. They blew some tough games with the Giants. Even if they had won three out of four, yeah, we'd be talking about it getting interesting and exciting. But I was going to tell you, hey, look, get to 500. You know, use the opportunity against some of the lesser competition that they're playing, which, by the way, the Mets have worse record than some of these teams. So the Mets are the lesser competition. And uh, and away you go. So right now, I'm, I'm not in that mindset. The, the Mets are right now... Uh, no different than they have been over the last couple of weeks, a team that right now facing the trade deadline uh, is essentially a seller. So that brings me to my point, and I know, like I said, we'll have Jed later and we'll see if he thinks the Mets and Yankees can make a deal because right now there's not a lot of smoke about Zach Wheeler being traded to a specific club. It's basically the thought is Zach Wheeler Wheeler, Wheeler is available, uh, he's healthy, according to Andy Martino, who seems to have the best information out of anybody in the, uh, the Mets uh, uh, media. Uh, he'll he'll probably make a start on Friday, and he'll probably only have one start before the trade deadline. And I think the Mets are in a really good position because regardless of what happens, even if they win out on this homestand and they, they sweep San Diego and they sweep the Giants and they really get you uh, thinking, well, 500's right there and the trade deadline's the following week. On the 31st, that's a Wednesday. Um, The Mets are in the driver's seat because if they decide they don't like the offer, first of all, they decide to keep Wheeler, they could still extend him the qualifying offer and get a draft pick. If they decide that they don't like the offers that other teams are giving them, they can still extend the qualifying offer in the offseason and get the draft pick. The, The thing about the Mets, which is different than the Jay Bruce trade, the Neil Walker trade, if they decide to trade, well, Stu Cabrera when he was a free agent, if they decide to trade Todd uh, Frazier, is that they have to get back value that's greater and above than the qualifying offer, which is a sandwich pick, which again, like I said, is Matthew Allen. And, and not that you're going to get a Matthew Allen every year, but there is a value to that draft pick. So this idea that the the value of Wheeler is less and the Mets are screwed because he got hurt—it's utter nonsense. Doesn't matter if they get back in the race. It doesn't matter if they uh, teams decide they're going to try to squeeze the Mets. You want to squeeze the Mets? You're not going to get Wheeler fine. Offer him the qualifying offer. You get yourself either a Wheeler back on a one-year deal if he doesn't reject it, which I don't know if he'll 100% reject it. Depends on the rest of the this year goes. You may want to take that 18 million and then try to have even a better year. Because he's had a nice year, but he hasn't had the year I think he'd necessarily want to have going into free agency. I think last year was more the year he'd want to have going into free agency. Um, and then you have yourself a pitcher at $18 million who is a guy who's a solid mid-rotation pitcher who has the ability to give you top of the rotation number one outings on, on a f- not a consistent basis, but more often than not. I think it's something of the consistency that puts him more into the the number three category maybe you know I, I still see wheeler as that i still see some of those uh inconsistencies so um there's no reason why this team uh can't go that route um and i and i think that that's something that has to be considered i mean there's absolutely no reason why Zach wheeler uh shouldn't be extended the qualifying offer and that's one of the other concerns about, uh, you know, the fan base and even the media talking about, well, you know, what if they, they extend them the $18 million? That's a lot of money. Uh, Syndergaard's going to get a, uh, a raise because he's also, what, second-year eligible arbitration. And how are they going to reallocate those resources? You still have to build your team on pitching. And $18 million for Wheeler is not a bad deal in this day and age. Uh, you know, Wheeler's a guy who will probably get a three-year deal in free agency. Uh, I don't think he'd get more than that. I, I'd be surprised if he got a five-year deal or a six-year deal. I think that there's going to be some pause after this um, this bout with uh, some shoulder fatigue. Uh, anybody who's a novice pitching coach can tell that the mechanics are not always there, and, and, and he's already had Tommy John surgery, so there's somewhat of a risk. So I, I think that the Mets really can't lose here, unless they're absolutely concerned that the guy's got some damage to the shoulder He's an injury waiting to happen, and they're going to have a sunk cost of $18 million next year if he accepts the qualifying offer. If that happens, and look, the Mets have had some bad luck over the last couple of years, so I guess it's not a, out of the question, but um, I don't think they would offer him that money uh, knowing that there's a, a large percentage chance of something like that happening. So don't believe the nonsense. Uh, Wheeler uh, is, is has plenty of value. There are teams out there that need a starting pitcher. And the Mets are going to have to make that decision when those offers come rolling in. And they'll probably come in and go to the 11th hour on the 31st. Are the offers that are on the table better than the qualifying offer and the draft pick potentially getting that? Is it better than potentially having another year of Wheeler uh, with a team that expects to contend now and contend in the future? I mean, that's that's been the the, the missive put out there. So, uh, you know, why wouldn't that continue? So... That's where we're at. Um, Wheeler, don't get crazy here. Uh, the, The Mets are really, unlike the last couple of years, totally in the driver's seat. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, there's been some talk about with the recent hot streak of Dominic Smith that maybe the Mets should think about trading Michael Conforto and looking at Smith a little bit more as an outfielder. I'm going to tell you why that's a bad idea. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this.
1: And now, with JD Davis due up and a right hand pitcher on the mound, Dominic Smith is going to bat for Davis with second and third and one out. 0-2 coming. And he lofts one toward the right field corner, hit it toward the wall. It's out of here! A three run homer for Dominic Smith, and the Mets take the lead in the seventh inning. Well, that's a nice way to get your first hit in the second half. On an 0-2 pitch, Dom hits one into the jutting portion of the stands above that high right-field fence. A three-run homer to put the Mets up 5-3.
0: All right, we're back, and I found it really interesting that the talk has been, and I think it was John Harper of SNY that brought it up, that maybe the Mets should look at Dominic Smith who many feel haven't hasn't done a bad job in the outfield as potentially the guy to keep and start to think about trading Michael Conforto and and when I heard that it it, it does pick your brain a little bit make it something to think about because you know, Smith has been a fan favorite his attitude this year has been great he's completely turned it around after being probably he was on the on the verge and maybe I shouldn't say the most disappointing cuz Gavin Cicchini is probably the most disappointing draft pick that the Mets have had. Wasn't he a first round pick as well? But I mean Dominic Smith was on was right there, was going to be that, you know, that kind of guy that you know many felt was going to go down as a complete waste. You know, his had weight issues, looked, you know, very much overmatched in his first couple of years uh, being called up. Uh, and fell out of favor with the Alderson regime, and, and and he's been nothing but a breath of fresh air. I mean, here's a guy that essentially lost his position or his standing in the organization to Pete Alonso. has befriended Alonzo, has been a great teammate, has been a valuable piece off the bench uh, as a lefty bat. He was caddying Alonzo as a defensive replacement for a while, and believe it or not, I don't even know if you, you really need that now. Uh, so he, you know, it's sometimes we get caught up in players you know, having to play or draft picks, top draft picks having to be impact players. And eventually, you know, guys, you need a, a full 25-man roster. A guy like Dominic Smith left the battle off the bench, could play first, could play the outfield, uh, you know, gives you a professional at-bat or has given you professional at-bats this year. There's some value to that. Now, I'm not in favor of, of getting Gaga here and talking about him replacing Conforto first of all and we talked about this last week so if you didn't hear it go back to the podcast last week Uh, Michael Conforto is a guy that still is probably going to hit you 30 home runs going to drive you 85 to 90 runs Uh, maybe he's not going to hit over 300 or close there to uh, that level like we thought when he was when he came up in 2015 uh, he's going to be more in the 250-260 range, and he's been more in that range than he's been in the 270-280 range. Uh, maybe the guy that we saw in 2017 that made the All-Star team that separated his shoulder later that year, I mean, remember, that was a a lethal injury, and by rights, it, I mean, it took him, he started hitting late last year, so it probably took him a good year to really get going and back to where he was, but... I mean, look, Conforto's a guy that's going to strike out a lot. I mean, that's been his profile so far in his career. He does walk at a pretty high clip. He's going to give you about a 350, 360 on base percentage, and and that's solid. He's going to hit for power. I think he's good defensively in the corners. He hasn't had any issues being a team guy and playing center field. Uh, I wouldn't all of a sudden fall in love with Dom Smith, who, by the way, is hitting about a buck eighty six in July, and even though he had a couple of big home runs. Uh, during the road trip. I think he hit, like, what, the last week in the 220 range or something like that. I was running through some queries uh, on baseball reference and so on and so forth. So let's not get crazy here. I think right now Dom Smith is a guy that you probably want to sell high on. You know, he probably has gotten some of the scouts' interest picked. Uh, He's a guy that really doesn't fit. I don't think he's playing a horrible uh, outfield, but he does take some circuitous routes to certain balls, so that's noticeable. I talked to a scout while the Mets were in Arizona that was at the game, and he told me that he definitely didn't think he was an outfielder. He didn't feature there at at all and just because you play the outfield and you have a glove and you're an outfielder doesn't mean you're really an outfielder now i think that's maybe a little bit unfair because that was earlier in the year and maybe if you give him a spring and you really put work into it which by the way he volunteered because he knows if he's going to be on this team he's going to need to be versatile and i think chili davis has been pushing that as well that um you know he's going to have to learn to play the outfield i just am not ready to say listen dom smith in this brief stint as a viable high level hitter i mean the guy has you know an ops about 900 he's hitting at a very elite level showing a lot of power every bit the same power that conforto has i'm not ready to say let's put all our eggs in that basket trade conforto i know from a cost control it would save them at some money and i'm sure you could get something of value for Conforto. But let's not also forget there's Brandon Nimmo out there, and, and we forget about Brandon Nimmo because he does have a serious injury, and I don't take herniated discs lightly. Uh, I do hope that he comes back healthy. I, I worry that this is something that's lingering. And remember, last year Conf, uh, Nimmo was a top 25 offensive player. So, you're going to rely on him, because I don't see him contributing a lot this year. I, I hope to see him back. I know that He's trying to amp up some of his uh, baseball activities, but I wouldn't expect to see him the earliest. I think he comes back is September 1st, if at all. And um, you're relying on, on a guy with a bad neck a herniation that is potentially going to cause some issues for his back and his arms and and pain that could be permanent and could compromise what was a very promising uh, offensive player. We don't know yet. Let's hope not. Uh, You're putting a lot of eggs in Dom Smith who has not put a full season yet. Of going through the league, uh, so that that's a that's a real risk, and and you could really and then if you do trade Conforto, it depends on what you get back. You could be really shortening up your offense here, and I think you, that consistently. And I said this last week, and I'll say it again. I think the issue that the fans and the media have with Conforto is their vision of who he should be, and what he is is a little bit of a gap there. And I did the numbers. I compared him to Bryce Harper, and maybe he's not quite Bryce Harper, but he's not far off, and he's not going to cost you a 13-year deal. And uh, if you're going to tell me his career is going to be 250, 260, 350 on base percentage, 30 home runs, I'll take that. I'm not sure Dom Smith is going to do that. He may do it. He has the potential to do it. I don't know if he's going to play good corner outfield defense, and there's no position for him at first base unless you think, uh, Pete Alonso is going to turn into a pumpkin, and right now, although he's slumping, I have a hard time believing Pete Alonso is going to turn into a pumpkin. So, not ready to uh, go in that direction. I do think that in the end, Dom Smith is a guy that doesn't fit here, and maybe you could call up another team that has a good young player that doesn't fit their team, and you can make a swap. Those are not easy trades to make. Uh, you know, a bad fit for a bad fit. You know, good young players that in a vacuum you'd love to keep and find a spot for, but you don't have it because they're being blocked by somebody uh, that's far superior, in this case, Pete Alonso. So not ready to uh, go down that road. You'll hear some of that talk about Dominic Smith. You're not going to hear that from me. Right now I still believe uh, Dominic Smith's future here is going to be on the bench as a component player, part-time player, or as trade bait uh, in a deal that potentially could bring back some better value or a player that fits the Mets, maybe a starting pitcher, who knows, maybe a starting pitcher that they uh, might need. Because let's face it, if they trade Zach Wheeler, uh, and I know everyone you know might be excited that Walter Lockett had a nice uh, outing against uh, a bad uh, team, uh, a bad offensive team like the Giants. Uh, Walter Lockett is a contact pitcher. I don't think he's an acceptable replacement uh, for Wheeler in the long term. I think he's a depth piece. And um, we'll see, you know, improving the starting pitching in this market. Ironically, the one area that I didn't think the Mets would need to address in the short term is something that they may actually have to need to address, and maybe Dominic Smith comes into play with that. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, Travis Darnot has been in the news. And why are we talking about Travis Darno? Because he's being used by the media as a way to push the agenda, the anti-Mets, anti-ownership, anti-Brody Van Wagen agenda. I'm going to tell you why you don't need to look back at Travis Darno or you have nothing to learn by why the Mets cut Travis Darno. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this.
1: Eighth pitch of this at-bat. Three and two, two down. The runners will be in motion now. So if Darno can connect on a base hit, maybe even you can get them both in. Here it comes. And Darno hits one high in the air. Deep right field. Is it going to be enough? Judge going back, and it is gone! A three run bomb from Travis Darno, and the Rays are in front.
0: All right, we're back, and yes, I am playing clip of Travis Darno hitting the what turned out to be the game winning home run against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. A dramatic home run. And I want to start by saying I've met Travis Darno, I've interviewed Travis Darno, and I've I've heard him in many different interviews and I think he's a great guy. I think he's a great guy and by all accounts for those who covered him far more than I have day to day, he's a great guy. What what I think here is that Travis Darno and the recent success he's had which is about a month, and I mean, he was he wasn't hitting for the better part of the first two months of the season. Even after he stopped in L.A. and he stopped uh, in the early, you know, weeks in Tampa Bay. Uh, there's this idea that Travis Darno, because of the three home run game against the Yankees, because he has uh, after yesterday he had a grand slam, uh, you know, ten home runs and thirty RBIs on the season, an OPS plus over uh, over one hundred for the first time since the 2015 season at one eighteen that the the mets need to be looked at or the you know there needs to be a greater examination of how the mets evaluate players and i am not going to criticize the mets at all for anything that they did with travis darno as a matter of fact what they did with travis darno is the exact thing they normally get criticized for which you know would be taking the inexpensive way out the mets looked at the catching situation with darno and said darno has potential you know, he's 30 years old now, so he's not a young guy anymore. He's You know, he's gonna he's 30. Even though his body may not be that because he's been injured a lot, he's 30 years old. So let's not act like Travis Darno is this prospect that the Mets gave up at uh, 24, or 25 years old. And even when I looked and saw that he was 30 years old, I had to do a double-take. I didn't believe it because it feels like he just came up yesterday. The Mets knew they needed to go out and get a catcher. They weren't sure if Grandel was going to be available, Ramos. Uh, they knew they had Thomas Nito, which now we see they had high – expectations for him because of his game calling and his defense, but they knew he had to work on his bat. You know, they went out and they had Mesoraco come back who, uh, who the heck knows what you're going to get out of him. He's had some injuries throughout his career. They had another veteran, Renee Rivera, but when you cobble those guys together, there was a lot of if. So when they went and they tendered Darneau, um, you know, and now they sign Ramos, they're hedging their bets a little bit. You know, Ramos is a guy that had uh, some, you know, knee issues, Uh, He's an older guy. They figured, you know what, chance for Darno to be the backup. Uh, And then you have yourself the best of both worlds. There was talk about maybe having him play some different positions to get his bat in there. If he can be be a quality righty bat, that never seemed to happen. Um, So I think the Mets had the best intentions. I I do think, forget the offensive part, because as much as he's hot now, I don't expect Travis Darno to be anything more than a guy that's going to pop home runs, you know, hit 242 250, 260, maybe be a league average hitter, uh, have some hot streaks like he did uh, over the last 100 at-bats or so. But we've seen this before from Darnell. You know, they're acting like this has been a full season of production. It's been 140 at-bats maybe, and 100 of them are quality maybe. I mean, we're getting really, really carried away here about a guy that historically um, has not been consistent, has been hurt. A guy that lost his job. To Rene Rivera in 2016, a guy that opened the door for Kevin Plowecki to take his job over the last couple of years. I mean, let's not forget, you know, the Mets haven't had a really stable catching situation. Rene Rivera should not be starting a playoff game for the New York Mets in 2016 if Travis Darneau does what he should be doing. The guy that we saw in 2015 after he came back from the injury that he had in uh, in early in the year was the guy the Mets thought that they were going to get. Guy hits home runs, seemed to be a pretty decent defensive catcher. Uh, he never was good at calling a game. Um, but you had Dan Worthen calling the uh, the staff, so it didn't really matter. So you figure if the guy hits, you live with it. You have the pitching coach call the pitches. But that wasn't Dave Island. And I have to tell you, what really did me in with Darno was that Saturday night game against the Brewers at City Field. And if you guys remember it, he wasn't on the same page with Syndergaard. It was painful watching that game. Painful watching him. He looked horrible behind the plate. Again, I understand he was off from Tommy John's surgery for a year. And he's trying to get back into it. But I had seen that version of Darno quite a bit throughout his tenure. And I'm saying to myself, best case scenario, the guy pops the occasional home run, has a little bit of a hot streak. uh, But if he can't really frame, he's not really a top framer. uh, He can't catch. Yeah, he's throwing a little bit better now that his arm is healed. Uh, You know, he's around league average. But he's not really excelling at anything defensively. Why do you need him? Now, I was a little surprised that they designated him for assignment. Um, but they really believed that with this staff, especially because the staff is what this team was built on, that they needed a catcher uh, like Nito that could you know, be a catch-and-throw guy. I was very much a proponent, if you remember, during the offseason, of getting Marti Maldonado. That was a guy I thought who wouldn't hit a lick but uh, would really elevate the staff. And, you know, I've proven to be right, and I'm not saying Nito is that guy, but ultimately I think um, I had my doubts. I mean, Ramos was the third choice, if you remember, behind Maldonado. Uh, He wouldn't have been the first guy I would have signed. But I figured, okay, you you need to get some more offense, and uh, he's available, and he's available on a reasonable deal, on a short-term deal. Uh, So at, at the end of the day, you know, Travis Darnot, this idea, you have Joel Sherman in the New York Post talking about, how the Mets can use this whole Darno situation as a way to see what they're doing with Syndergaard and, and are they, uh, you know, procuring the talent of Syndergaard. The Rays aren't doing anything different because Darno is the same guy I've seen. He may, his arm is healthier. And here's the key point with Darno: If anybody read the column back around the 4th of July that Kevin Kernan of the New York Post put together when he interviewed Darno, and the quote stuck with me about how it's different in Tampa, What does that mean? Not the same scrutiny. Not the same media. Not the same pressure. He's not going in there as the guy that was acquired as the centerpiece. Remember, he was not Noah Syndergaard. He was the centerpiece of the Ari Dickey trade. He had a lot of expectations. He's a top prospect. There was a top prospect with the Phillies. was a top prospect with the Blue Jays. Now he's on that side of his career where he's disappointed everybody. So there's only one way to go but up. So in a way... That might actually work for him. Now, does Syndergaard fall into that? Not really. Um, and I don't think Syndergaard is a guy that shies away from the pressure uh, because he's already shown that he can perform in elite pressure situations in New York. But remember, this might be a better environment for him. So you may get a different version of Darno. In the end, Darno is who he is, and he's not enough of a difference maker when you compare him to Ramos or Nito. And what the Mets really need behind that plate. Is they need a, a little bit more of that Ramos bat with a lot more of that Nito defense. And unfortunately, you can't go into the chemistry lab and you can't put that together. And T- Travis Darno is not that. So forget about all this nonsense about Darno. Forget about how it's an indictment on ownership. Forget about how it's an indictment on Brody Van Wagenen. It has nothing to do with that. That's just the way for the media to go after the Mets. The same media that went after Noah Syndergaard for not speaking to. The press after that 16 inning game, when it was really Chris Mazza who was the guy that, you know, lost the game. The same media that now has Jared Kelnick's mom saying, lay off the kid. He didn't ask to be traded because we've become obsessed with everything Jared Kelnick does to be able to throw it back in the Mets' face. It's really old. It's really tiresome. And Darno was the latest example of that. But I think it's important enough to examine and to talk about because I think Dar- Darno is kind of symptomatic of what's been going on. Guys leaving the Mets, maybe going somewhere else, and their success being amplified. Jay Bruce, he's out with an oblique issue. Imagine if that happened while he was with the Mets. They'd be like, oh, this is an indictment of the Mets training staff. Well, it happened in Philadelphia. And to me, Jay Bruce is the same guy. Older player, pops home runs, is going to get hurt. And I'm sure Anthony Swarzek is a guy that's going to fit the profile of who he was. Uh, it was just amplified in that short stint with the Mets. So anyway, Jed Weisberger on deck. We'll Listen to our friend Jed Weisberger, what he has to to say. MLB.com, Clubhouse Corner. Let's take a quick break. When we return, Jed Weisberger will join us as we talk about Clint Frazier. Can the Mets swing a deal with the Yankees for Zach Wheeler? Can these two teams deal? What's the status over there? We'll be back with more right after this. The one-two.
1: Drilled in the air deep left field and that is loud goodbye Clint Frazier with the exact swing he needed and it's two nothing Yankees
2: we're back and joining us friend of the program it's been a while uh, correspondent at MLB.com, also does some stuff over at uh, Clubhouse Corner. It's our friend Jed Weisberger. Jed, pleasure to have you on. It's uh, Hall of Fame speech season. It's uh, trade deadline season, so a lot of baseball to talk about.
3: I'll tell you, Mariano was terrific today, but you have to really admire uh, Brandi uh, Halliday, you know, for how she stood up there and did that. That couldn't have been easy, and uh, you know, he was a great guy and a great pitcher. I interviewed him about a about eight months before he passed away it was a good guy trying to get his back in shape. And then, uh, was in that plane and, uh, all kinds of stuff. And it was a shame, you know, cause, uh, he was a good guy, but, uh, it was a nice hall of fame class, Mike. I think it was uh, one of the best in recent years. It was good to see Lee Smith and it was good to see Harold Baines who has great numbers. A lot of the kids today have no idea what he did, you know, and they didn't didn't like the selection at the time, but, uh, Having watched uh, Harold Baines play, and you did too, he was a very he was a clutch hitter, and his numbers are outstanding.
2: Yeah, solid professional hitter. Yeah, solid professional hitter. And then uh, obviously, it sounds like the uh, the Mariners fans, the contingent, made a big pilgrimage up to Cooperstown for Edgar Martinez, and that's good to see that club, you know, the '95 team now over twenty, almost twenty-five years old. Uh, bad season for the the Yankees fans, but uh, I was watching that on MLB Network. Uh, a fun a fun series and a fun season there. So Edgar Martinez represented as well. Yeah,
3: Edgar is a very nice guy as well. Uh, you know, from Puerto Rico, he's uh, you know it was kind of it was kind of nice to see that today because uh, a lot of that was uh, during the years I you know I covered baseball almost full time and everything like that, and uh, it was good to see guys I know. You know, Lee Smith going back to my Pittsburgh days and. Edgar on that 95 series with the Yankees, you know, the goofy uh, thing in those days, the top seeded team had two games at home and then the second seeded team had three games at home. So Seattle, uh, you know, the Yankees won the two in 1995 and then Seattle uh, won the last three. And uh, so she went, but uh, you feel bad about that. Cause that was Mattingly's only playoff appearance, but in 1996, the dynasty started. So, uh, you know, it was good, uh, but those were players, like I said, off in the era that was really mine at baseball, and it was good to see all of them in the Hall of Fame. Messina, you know, it, it, the whole thing. Uh, I, I watched it today and really enjoyed it.
2: Jed Weisberger, a friend of the show, joining us, uh, MLB.com, as well as Clubhouse Corner. Jed, uh, we've you've been on a, before, and, uh, you know, as we head into the trade deadline, the real topic is going to be Fear for the Mets, Zach Wheeler. And If the Mets could get anything of value for him, will they trade him? Will he be healthy enough? And I guess we'll see. All the, the signs point to him making uh, you know, at least one, if not two, starts before the deadline. Now, Paxton had a really rough start for the Yankees today. Uh, the talk has been about the Yankees needing another starter. Wheeler would fit that profile. Historically, the Mets and Yankees have a hard time making a deal. Why would it be different this time, Jed? Do you think it would be different? And the more that a Paxton struggle, the more that the Yankees' weaknesses in the starting rotation, which will be amplified in the short series, come to fruition, uh, could we see these two teams help each other uh, for this year and for the, uh, the future?
3: Well, the thing that concerns me is two years ago, uh, the Yankees, you know, Cash was looking for Jay Bruce. And uh, basically a deal was uh, – deal was uh, agreed upon with Sandy and Brian, uh, whereas the Mets would get two prospects, who I won't name because they weren't traded. But I will say that the progress these two prospects have made totally uh, in contrast to the garbage, and that's what it was, that uh, Sandy was forced to take back from Cleveland from Bruce, makes me really wonder because uh, had things been cool between the teams then, one pitcher and one other player would really at this point be helping the Mets, but, of course, the Wilpons apparently would not do it. Now, I don't know with Brody in there if things have changed. They may, they may have not, but I would think the Wilpons are the people to make the, uh, to make the uh, decision totally in the end. And, uh, but I will also say if you traded Quint Frazier for Zach Wheeler, that, you know, This is without extending Zach Wheeler, so it's just one for one. Clint Frazier for Zach Wheeler, that would immediately, Mike, help both teams, and there's no reason not to do it. That's if Wheeler is healthy.
2: Well, let's assume Wheeler's healthy, but he's also a free agent. There's been this uh, thought out there that the Yankees aren't going to give up anybody like a Frazier, who, look, he's proven he can hit. Uh, his issues have been obviously in the outfield. And then he had that one incident with the media after a tough Sunday night. Uh, All all signs point to the Yankees not wanting to do something like this. Do you think that that's maybe a little overstated and that if they, you know, look, if Wheeler passes the health test, and it sounds like they like Wheeler a lot. uh, And I know that Stroman's out there and maybe he's higher on the list, but what's realistic, what's more realistic for the Yankees? And, uh, you know, why would they give up a Frazier for a guy like Wheeler when maybe that's more of a, a Stroman type of acquisition?
3: Well, maybe, uh, maybe Frazier, uh, maybe Frazier does not fit the Yankee scheme of things with all that. Uh, yeah, he can hit but uh, you know, Tachman, Tachman has played well defensively and Tachman is up there so he can uh, make the defensive plays. Uh, they kind of really soured on Frazier and, uh, I'm not sure uh, Frazier is really in their plans anymore. I would think uh, any trade for a pitcher, whether it's Wheeler or not, I really think there's a realistic chance, Mike, of uh, Frazier being in there because, uh, you know, his value is never going to get higher, and uh, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, it's interesting about Stroman, and, uh, you know, the comment uh, is that uh, Toronto was looking for uh, something of a package like uh, the – The Pirates uh, gave uh, Tampa Bay for Archer, you know, because he had a year and then, you know, the rest of the year and then another year. In that trade with the Pirates, uh, things have worked out pretty well for Tampa Bay with uh, the outfielder and uh, a pitching prospect, Boz, who was just in Class A, and Tyler Glass we got hurt. You know, so you figure Frazier is as good if they traded with Toronto for Stroman as is Meadows, you know. In fact, uh, neither of them are good on defense, but they both can hit. You figure uh, Florial at this point is blocked by Hicks in a seven-year contract, plus uh, the Yankees have other center field prospects, and uh, possibly maybe Davey Garcia. He's not the only uh, Yankees pitching prospect that looks pretty good. So I think the, you know, the, one, the reason I mention all that is the Yankees, I think, can really give a better offer to anybody. Than uh, any other team because their form system is still deep. And these are kids that are, some of the kids are just about Major League ready. You have a chance at too, But I don't know what value he has. Maybe in the bullpen, maybe he's a spot starter. But uh, what you have is uh, a lot of players in the system uh, that would work for a lot of teams. I don't know. But again, I don't know if the Mets would, I know the Yankees would deal
2: Frazier in the right deal. I don't know if the Mets would work with the Yankees. You talk about potentially a pitcher with some control, and Noah Syndergaard falls into that. Now, I'm not sure the Mets are ready to trade him. If they're going to go with the mindset of win now, win the future, Noah still does have a very reasonable financial situation for next year. I think he'll probably be around the $10 $11 million range in arbitration, something like that. He might actually fetch the Mets more than just a Frazier. Omar Manaya was out in Scranton looking at a Devi Garcia I mean, he's the guy yeah. that seems to be attracting a lot of the attention through the media. Uh, you know, look, you watch these kids. You, you've seen these kids down in Trenton. Uh, you know, a package like Garcia and Frazier, uh, is that something that if you're the Mets for a Syndergaard, which now falls into the Stroman category of control, is that something you do with the Yankees, do something like that? Uh, from my viewpoint from the Yankees, I would
3: definitely do that. Now, again, the question is, would the Mets do that? I mean, there's gotta be a point Mike, and I don't want to put all the onus on the Mets, but I mean, I'm just going by past history with like I do with the Bruce trade. I mean, I don't want to put the onus on the Mets, but I mean, I think certainly Frazier, Debbie Garcia and Floreal would be something that would help the Mets both immediately and within the next two years for senior guard. Now you could throw in a chance Adams or another pitcher too with that, but, um, you know, if you want to sweeten the deal, but, uh, like I said, that would definitely help the Mets right away. But, again, the question is, will they do it? Once I see the Mets do it, then I'll believe they'll do it. I mean, um, i got to say that because, uh, you know, they have not in the past. And the Bruce thing showed me they the Wilpon still would do it. Yep, and I mean, absolutely. The Mets it. have
2: gotten – yeah, the Mets haven't gotten anything. Uh, none of those relievers have developed. Uh, and maybe that's partly the Mets' fault, and we'll see there's still some Left in the system, but none of those the relievers have developed. And, and from what you have said on the show before, the Mets could have two uh, interesting component pieces on their roster right now for Jay Bruce and maybe even Neil Walker. Uh, Debbie, uh, Debbie Garcia does uh, is he legitimately an option for the Yankees? Look, if the Yankees don't want to give up a Frazier or Garcia, and they want to try to get one of these uh, either a rental or a Stroman, and say, look, you know, traditionally the Yankees don't like giving up the prospects that they know are going to pan out the guys that they're really, really high on. Uh, Would they go with the Garcia in the rotation? Can he come up late season like, you know, Jabba did? Now, I know he did it in the pen, Jabba, but maybe give a jolt to that rotation and, and, and maybe be the answer. I mean, he's, he's got impressive minor league numbers, but, uh, you know, the walks are high. And certainly, again, numbers are just numbers. I haven't seen him pitch. I'm, I'm sure you have. Uh, is that a kid that's ready for the big time in the next, uh, you know, four to six weeks?
3: uh garcia is not ready for the big time i would say mid 2020 for him uh at the earliest he was just promoted he was the youngest uh, pitcher in the eastern league and he just got promoted to uh to uh, scranton a couple weeks ago so he's just starting out in triple a i mean uh you know like in the past there was a trade which didn't work out well for the yankees a couple years ago in which uh Cashman did send three good prospects to Oakland. Jorge Mateo was always one of the top uh, prospects. Uh, he still is scuffling a little bit and still could work out. I mean, Dustin Fowler was well on his way to being a starter until the knee thing popped up. And uh, he started in the beginning of the year for Oakland. And then Liriano came uh that Liriano kid came on real strong out there. And then, Larriano lately his defense has fallen apart in center field, so Fowler might be in the picture again and help them. He's a good ball player. And you know, Caprelian has just had a tough time with injuries, but he was a number one draft pick. So I mean, they there's time you know, and that was for Sonny Gray and they thought it'd work out and of course it did not. But uh, there's the instances there's incidences where if the Yankees uh thought they needed a pitcher as an organ for an organization, a number two you know, a number one or two starter, you're not gonna get a number one really like a number two, like a gray was supposed to be, you have a shot of, uh, you have a shot of, uh, I think they would give up some prospects. I mean, Frazier, you know, Frazier is really somebody right now who I think is not in their, uh, you know, is not in their um, top graces. And, uh, you know, you take a chance with a Garcia, they do have some other pitchers in the system and uh Floreal is a pretty good player coming back from injuries. But if Hicks, you sign Hicks to a, seven-year contract in center field, and he is good defensively, I think, uh, plus there's other, center, there's other outfielders in the system that are coming up from the lower levels. Uh, I think they do it. I mean, I don't know, but again, you know, the bottom line is, do the Mets make Syndergaard available to the Yankees? I would think the last thing Wilpons would want to see is Syndergaard go to the Yankees and go 9-1 and one for the rest of the year. You know what I mean? Because they yeah. had enough trouble with Strawberry and uh, Doc Gooden performing for the Yankees.
2: Yep, absolutely. Is Frazier's defense salvageable? You now, if you're looking at it from a Mets point of view, you know, if they get a Frazier for Wheeler and that's point, look, you got to look at it. Here's how I look at it from the Mets. If you keep Wheeler, you've got the, uh, the qualifying offer for 18 million, which is not a bad one year investment in Wheeler. If he's healthy, uh, you, you, you have that sandwich pick uh, with Matthew Allen, the Mets showed with Brody that they can maybe get a little bit creative and, and do something with that kind of uh, situation. Uh, is Frazier a National League player? Can his defense, I mean, he, he's hit, look, at the big league level, albeit in a small sample size, but he's hit. He's not hitting a triple A right now, but sometimes, you know, that that goes into the disappointment of being sent down. It, you know, that's part of scouting. You know, being sent down, how do they handle that? What's the reason behind the the 230 batting average down there? Um, you know, is he salvageable in the outfield? or is he an American League player? Is he a DH? I guess that's the big question if you're the Mets, where, okay, you're getting something for Wheeler, but is this something that can, can help you? you know, is this a, uh, the righty bat that you could put out there, and uh, it's another young player along with Alonzo and McNeil and Conforto? Uh, you know, or is he another J.D. Davis? They have somebody like that. So and I guess that's the question.
3: I think Frazier's defense is salvageable. I mean, he's not a center fielder, but uh, you know, the Indians at the time like Zimmer better, you know, before the trade, but I think his defense can be worked on. You can teach somebody uh, to take better routes. You can teach somebody to have better reactions in the outfield and the Mets really need outfielders. I mean, McNeil's a terrific player, Mike, but he should be in the infield. He doesn't need to be, and he shouldn't be in the outfield. You know what I mean? And that's where it would help the Mets immediately. I mean, so I mean, if you got Frazier, I think you could put up with some defensive guffaws as you work on them. I mean, uh, I think in an, here's the thing. I think the, I really think Frazier needs a new situation and a new spot. It'd be be kind of nice to let him play in New York. And if he works out for uh, the Mets, he plays legitimate defense, hits 22 to 25 home runs a year and drives in 85 90 runs. They got somebody. Plus it helps their outfield. You move McNeil back into the infield. Uh, the third base instead of Todd Walker next year, and uh, I think the team the team gets a little bit stronger. The pitching is still solid, Mike, and Rosario isn't terrible, and uh, McNeil and Alonzo were
2: two nice building blocks. They're not that far away. It just has, It's just the bullpen has failed. Are you surprised uh, having watched McNeil and Alonzo down in AA? Uh, I don't know how much you saw them when they were Binghamton. Are you surprised how good they've been? I think uh I think Alonzo has worked very, very hard, especially on his
3: defense. He could always get hit. the hitting was there. McNeil is the kind of kid who uh always had good plate appearances and always uh, seemed to have good pitch recognition and play control, so it doesn't surprise me he's in three forty. And uh that's good. I mean like today I was watching a little bit of them in the Giants and he still goes after some sliders out of the out of the zone, but it seems like all young hitters don't until they figure they figure it out. But to me, those are two building blocks They're so two good young players. I and mean, Alonzo's, you know, somebody asked me, is Alonzo the Mets judge? And I said, absolutely. The kid's going to hit 40, 45 home runs this year. And uh, I see no reason why he won't do that every year. Plus, uh, defensively, he's really worked on it. McNeil has turned into a good leadoff hitter, and he gets on base. And he, he also drives in runs. And uh, I think, those, I, again, those are two real good building blocks. And uh, you get a Frazier and another young player like that, and you put them in the lineup who can hit it changes things for them it opens up their outfield like I said it puts uh, McNeil back in the infield and I think you're on the right track again but uh, well the you know the Mets need you know Mike they really I've written for years they really need to do this because the teams can help each other I mean uh, there's no problem with the Cubs and the White Sox with Quintana and Eloy Jimenez and stuff like that trade with each other
2: yeah help each other now and in the future. And if Frazier is somebody that could help the Mets immediately, uh, Jed Weisberger, you can check him out on Twitter at Zellman888. Uh, correspondent for MLB, um, also does some stuff at Clubhouse Corner. Been following the Yankees. He's a fixture down in Trenton uh, for years. Uh, great eye for minor league baseball and, and what goes on there. Uh, a couple of things, Jed, before we wrap up. Uh, first thing here, uh, Mickey Calloway. His days may be numbered uh, despite the fact that he's gotten multiple or has received multiple uh, votes of confidence from the general manager. If they move away from Mickey, uh, you're very familiar with Buck Showwater, You're very familiar with Joe Girardi. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Dusty Baker. I feel like the media and the fans are going to push for an experienced manager to handle the, the Shark Tank that is New York and the Shark Tank that is the negativity of what's been going on there. There's talent here. You know that this team in the league with a lot of parity could get into a wild card and win – uh, with just a few uh, tinkerings, I believe, anyway. Uh, where would you go? I mean, it seems like Girardi gets all the attention, but Buck has a history of taking teams like the Mets and the situations that they're in and turning them around. And I wonder if that's a better play. Or is it Dusty Baker, who was their competitor just a couple of years ago in Washington? Uh, I would think, Mike, the, the three uh,
3: three you mentioned man, post- possibilities you mentioned I would say Buck would be the best one. Uh, he was great in the studio with the Yankees this week, you know, during the Tampa Bay series. But Buck I'm, Buck, I'm sure, wants to get back managing. I think he'd love to do it in New York. situation with Girardi is, uh, I question, uh, it's funny, Girardi has done so good well for Fox, he's usually their best commentator. He's done well for MLB. He was like today on the broadcast that MLB did uh, with uh, the hall of fame. He was like, uh, he was like a little kid. And I'm not saying that negatively. He said, I've never been to this before. Cause I was always managing or playing and he was really excited about it. And which was kind of cool. Now, the thing with Girardi is in Chicago, the rumors and uh, they're, they're uh, there's where there's smoke, there's fire is that Theo and uh, Joe Madden are not getting along with Girardi. Girardi on the other hand is uh, of course a Northwestern guy and a Chicago guy. I think if the Cubs' job was open, he'd jump at it and take it. Dusty, I think, is really not in touch with today's players. He's done a great job, but I, I don't I don't know if he's the right fit. I think Buck would be much better with a team like that, and if Mickey goes, I would certainly cast a vote for Buck.
2: Are you as down on Mickey as maybe some of the others are? I mean, I don't know how much interaction you've had with Mickey over the years, and, and I know you, you cover more of the Yankees and the Mets, but I think, you know, he certainly made mistakes with the media, um, but I don't think he's as bad as everyone thinks. And, and look, unless they're covering for him, uh, the players are not really coming out and looking unprepared. They're competing every day. Uh, they don't get really blown out of the water. Uh, they lose a lot of gut-wrenching games. I mean, that's clear. This team loses a lot. They probably lost more gut-wrenching games this year than you want to have over a two- or three-year span. Um, I don't know if Mickey's as bad as everyone thinks. I just don't know if they can validate. I don't not validate. I don't think they could justify bringing him back. That's, that's the part I guess I, I would say.
3: Well, you know, Mickey was, a, I know Francona Kona and, uh, Mickey was an excellent pitching coach and I'm sure that's why he was brought to New York, you know, and work with the other stuff. I don't think he's been as bad either, but, uh, the problems with the media that he's had make him maybe not a New York guy. And it's no offense to him. I mean, if, uh, if they uh, if Mickey goes, what they'll do, you know, Mickey will get another job. He's uh, highly thought of as a pitching coach. I I just don't want to see them get rid of Mickey during the season and put a guy like Riggleman in there. It's not going to make any difference. But you are absolutely right. I mean, they've lost some gut-wrenching games, Mike, because uh, the bullpen didn't do the job. I mean, if the bullpen did the job, like in the uh, subway series against the Yankees, the game in City Field that they won with uh, – Justin Wilson, you know, just came back and uh, Diaz looking pretty good. If the bullpen would be like that eight out of 10 times, they'd be in the race. But unfortunately, uh, you know, with Lugo and some of the other guys, it hasn't worked out. I mean, that's where I give Cashman credit for uh, building a bullpen like that. I mean, it's not going to be perfect but like Cashman or like uh, Ch- Chapman in that one game, but I mean, at least the bullpen has saved them in like five or six games when they've come back and rallied to win, you know, they've won most of those games and the Mets have lost most of those games. And that's the difference between the two teams this season. The Mets are really not a bad club. Like you said, and the players have certainly not quit on Mickey, but uh, perceptions being perceptions, uh, it might be tough to bring him back. And I agree with what you said.
2: Last thing, Jed, before you go, I want to bring up a main blast from the past year. And I know you're familiar with them a little bit. And uh, he's playing up in Syracuse uh, this year and he's hitting the ball and uh, he's bounced around and he was well-regarded and, and many thought he was the second baseman of the future. And I know he's trying to play a multiple number of positions uh, to become more valuable. And that's Dilson Herrera, 21 home runs an OPS over 900. And he's striking out at a little bit of a higher rate than I'd like to see, but that's the game today. Uh do you think there's still something there with Dilsen Herrera? 25 years old, has bounced from the Pirates to the Mets uh, to the Reds. I mean, he was in the Marlon Bird trade. A lot of people thought the Mets got a steal there, that Sandy Alderson got a steal. Uh, I'm thinking he's going to get a call-up eventually because he re-signed with the Mets after he opted out uh, in July. What do you think? Uh, is there still something left in the tank for Dilsen Herrera? Well, if you're hitting the way he's hitting in triple a, it's not the majors, but there's obviously something
3: there. And as you said, he's only 25. I mean, he certainly couldn't hurt the situation. Uh, if he comes up and he hits a little bit and he can play uh different positions, uh, a guy like that is always valuable. I mean, if he, you know, who knows what he could turn into, if he could play the infield and uh, all positions in the infield and he could play a little bit outfield. He turns into a DJ LeMayhu type, you know, and, uh, teams are looking for guys that do that. The fact he's only 25 and the fact that he resigned with the Mets as you said uh I see no reason why they you know they'd be smart to give him a shot. I mean it doesn't hurt and uh you know like uh Todd Todd Frazier's had a great career. He's a good guy, but I I don't see him uh doing much uh, the rest of the, you know the after this year if anything and uh He's not playing that well this year. So, I mean, uh, I see no problem with uh, giving Herrera a shot and see how he does. If he hits, he hits, and he plays well, he plays well. If he doesn't, they gave him a shot. You always do that. I mean, it's nice to have a Mets uh, farm team in Syracuse rather than Vegas, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's, that, I mean, that was a long time coming, Jed, that's for sure, after the, the Buffalo fiasco. So, uh, Zalman888 on Twitter, obviously MLB correspondent. Uh, someone will probably run into you at a Trenton Thunder game. At any time, uh, Clubhouse Corner, what else you got coming up? Anything you want to let the listeners know about?
3: Mike, I have some things outside of sports. i uh, covered baseball for 42 years, doing a few other different things. But I'm still around, and I'm still available. I'm still uh, – people still ask me about the game, and I try – like on Twitter, I try I try to offer information. It uh, gets tough with any fan base these days on Twitter, you know, with the Mets or the Yankees, because uh, – You got a lot of people that just don't understand uh, what baseball you do. And I do. And, but a lot of people don't understand how baseball really works. There's a lot below the surface on why things happen. And uh, you know, that's the situation. So, uh, but uh, you know, you'll see me around I'm still around and everything like that. Uh, Glad to be healthy and glad to be still writing and uh,
2: it works. All right. Well, listen, my friend, it's great catching up. You're always a wealth of information and uh, be well. We'll uh, we'll talk soon. And i got to find my way down to Trenton. we got to catch a ball game very soon. You All right? me, Be you, well, you my When you're coming down, give me a call. Take care. All right. Take care. Jed Weisberger, at Zellman888 on Twitter. MLB correspondent and we'll be a correspondent in Clubhouse Corner. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Zach Wheeler this
1: year. If you look at his numbers, they're kind of in line with last season. And LeMahieu strikes out. 2 2 coming. And he struck him out with a changeup. 3 2 coming. And LeMayhew strikes out on the fastball. And he does it again. And Sanchez chases the curveball. There's the curve you were talking about. 3 2. Carnacion chases. And he struck him out with the curveball. 1 1 to Encarnacion. Mm. And a check swing roller past the mound. Alonzo will field. And Wheeler gets over to cover. And that retires the side. And he strikes him out. Another terrific start for Zach. He allows just two hits over six and a third.
0: All right, great stuff from Jed Weisberger. Always enjoy uh, catching up with him. And by the way, and this is me saying this, not Jed, but the name of the pitcher. That I believe he was referring to as one of the players that they could, Mets could have potentially gotten for Jay Bruce was Domingo Herman, who right now is having a great season with the Yankees, twelve and two. And has struggled over the last couple of years and seems to have broken out. Uh, you know, is a guy that you know actually was pretty good in a short stint out of the bullpen in twenty seventeen. Struggled last year in twenty eighteen, and now uh, might be their best pitcher right now over the last uh, you know first few months. And you know, with Paxton. Having a terrible outing yesterday, it makes a lot of sense for the Yankees to want to go after Wheeler um, because I think he would cost less in some ways. And uh, you know, Marcus Stroman to me, unless the Blue Jays uh, are really just going to give him away, I mean, I think they're going to have to give up Frazier plus. I think Wheeler and right now, would I do Frazier for Wheeler? He's better than Frazier's better than a a sandwich pick. The concern I have with Frazier is that since he got sent back down, I mean, he's hitting about 230 in the minor leagues. Now, I haven't watched them play, and there could be reasons for that, but I always look at players and how they handle adversity. And to me, a guy, and I said this to a certain extent about Dom Smith last year when he got sent down, he wasn't really taking it that well. You want to go down there and say, oh, yeah, you want to send me down? You don't like my defense? The media doesn't like uh, how I handle post-game press conferences? I'm going to go out there and hit the tar out of the ball. Because that's the way you get yourself called up is by hitting. doesn't matter if you talk to the media. It doesn't matter if you bobble a ball in the outfield. If you're a bad fielder, at some point, if you hit, they'll find a spot for you somewhere. Maybe not with the Yankees, but with another American League team. Uh, you know, how is the, how bad is the defense? Is the defense salvageable? It's an intriguing proposition. My concern is if the Yankees trade somebody, and you saw it with Sonny Gray, and you saw it with James Paxton, when the Yankees trade players, prospects, they never work out. They, the other team gets very, very little back. They may get prospects that, well, they're Yankees prospects and they're in the Yankees top whatever echelon, but they don't work out. It also begs the question I mean, maybe, look, you got to give them credit on another part. You know, maybe they're doing some really good things developing players. If Domingo Herman is the name or is the pitcher that uh, would have. Uh, You know, come over if the Mets traded Jay Bruce to the Yankees in 2017. You know, the Mets haven't done a really good job developing their young players. Chris Flexen hasn't developed. Corey Oswalt hasn't developed. Um, You've seen regression from Mets. You've seen regression from Syndergaard. Now, that's not all the organization's fault, but the young pitchers for sure. You know, Island didn't seem, you know, he made an impact with DeGrom, but Island didn't seem to do very much uh, different than Dan Worthen. Um, they haven't had a, uh, any success developing any of these relievers that they acqu- uh, acquired for Neil Walker and Bruce and, and and so on and so forth. So you wonder if it would have made a difference if Herman would be the same pitcher that right now, listen, Herman in this rotation would fit in really nice. Would make it a little bit more palatable for you to trade Wheeler, and he's probably better than Stephen Matz right now. You know, and his peripherals aren't bad. So, um, you know, that's where I'm at. You know, I don't mind the Mets and Yankees. I know we joke around a lot on Twitter about the marketing of the New York media, and you cannot deal with the Yankees because, you know, you're never going to get back equal value. You're going to get back 50 cents on the dollar. That's a legitimate concern because the last two big trades, Paxton and Sonny Gray, and both are blown up in the Yankees' faces. Sonny Gray blew up in the Yankees' face. He's pitched better since he left, and Paxton is blowing up in the Yankees' face. So maybe it wasn't all that, you know, one-sided because the the goods that they got back are not the goods that they traded for. So maybe it's a little poetic justice that because the Yankees gave up inferior prospects that you know these pitchers are blowing up in their face. I just worry about it because if it doesn't work out, you're never gonna hear the end of it. And that's not a reason to, to not make a deal. Um I just want the Mets to be right. If they're gonna trade Wheeler, and they're gonna because even though you could potentially re-sign him. Once you trade him, the odds of him coming back—I know it happened with uh, Jay Bruce—but the odds of him coming back are not great. I know that's more common now. It used to never happen where you trade a guy and they resign back. Uh, but I think now it's—it's it's almost like stratomatic or fantasy baseball. I think everybody understands that you're moving assets right now. It's nothing—it's nothing personal. Uh, but who knows? So anyway, uh, that's that. Hey, um, you know that'll. That'll pretty much wrap it up here for the Talking Mets podcast. Really enjoyed you guys uh, you know, tuning in. Of course, we're charging right towards the uh, trade deadline, so a lot more content to come. I'm not sure next week will be a busy, busy week. I'm working on some things, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what transpires. You know, Wheeler's start will happen. Uh, I'm sure that'll make news. And, and again, like I told you, I think Wheeler needs to show that he's healthy. I don't think it matters if he gets shelled a little bit. Um, I don't think it's going to make a big difference as to what the offers are for him. Remember, the Mets are in the driver's seat, like I said at the beginning. The Mets are in the driver's seat because they can still offer him a qualifying offer, and they're not in the race. The team that's trying to acquire him is. So the pressure shifts a little bit on that. Hey, I want to thank Jed Weisberger for joining me uh, today. You can check him out on Twitter at Zellman888. Of course, I want to thank all of you for listening. You can check me out all the time at talkmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Media. And you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It would be greatly appreciated. I'm your host, Mike Silva, and enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast very soon. Take care, everybody.